Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is the place where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today, I've got a three-way conversation for you guys. I'm chatting with Sam and Kevin, who are a delightful Canadian couple calling Wellington home. Um, They're actually about to get married next month, which is really exciting for them. Uh, But they've started an awesome business called Floatwell. And I got a chance to head down for a float in one of their tanks last week. Uh, I wasn't quite sure exactly what to expect. I'd heard very good things about uh, going floating, but... Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite sure, but if you've never been, I would definitely suggest it. It's a, it's a really cool experience. The sensory deprivation is r- pretty awesome. Can be a little bit confronting to start with though. Um, and I found the first 40 minutes, my mind was kind of wandering around all over the place, just kind of fizzing around every which way because there was nothing else there to distract me. Uh, but the last 20 minutes, um, everything just kind of became really, really still. Uh, and I, I left feeling just ridiculously chilled out. So definitely pop down and see Sam and Kevin down at Floatwell. Or if you're not in Wellington, uh, pop into your uh, local float center. I'm sure Google will be able to tell you where they are. Uh, but today in the chat, we talk through talking about your dreams, even if they're uncomfortable to articulate, talk about creating process-based goals so you can enjoy the journey and not just the destination. We chat about the fear and discomfort of starting and running a business, why you need to prioritize self-care, letting go of the noise and finding stillness, and of course, getting uncomfortable. Uh, we've also got a new podcast review, uh, which I'm I'm loving. Uh, and this one today reads like this. I wish I'd found your podcast earlier. I'm absolutely loving listening to such inspiring and interesting conversation, especially with people whom I know of living in Wellington. Thank you, Chris. Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. That is, that's very cool to, to get that feedback. Um, if you guys, uh, I'd love it if you'd if you'd leave a podcast review on your favorite podcast app. Um, it just helps get the show out into into more people's ears and minds, and uh, helps them get uncomfortable as well. But uh, thanks for listening to the preamble, everyone, and thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. Okay, podcast. How are you do? Uh, you two today? Doing good. Pretty good. Yeah. 
Very cool. Thanks for taking the time to, to have a catch up and meet with me after uh, a little bit of Instagram messaging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a good way to meet people. <laughs> it is. It's fantastic, actually. My wife um, poo poos Instagram a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I've met a couple of like really interesting guests and really interesting people on Instagram, yeah. eh? So have I. <laughs> yeah. If you use it in the right way, not yeah. just for like looking at food or the Kardashians, then <laughs> I think it's a, it, it can be a good tool. Yeah, I got off it for that reason, just scrolling on yeah. random photos and yeah. wasting time. So uh, just the, the, out, out it goes for me. The Kardashian addiction got you, <laughs> yeah. it's, a Dis- it's a problem. <laughs> Disappointing. Uh, no. This is what we're talking about. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've made you really uncomfortable to start with. Um, what I usually like to kick things off with, though, is a little bit of background about you guys. And I don't know if you want to do it together, if you want to do it separately, whatever sort of seems the best for you. But kind of where you're from, where you grew up. Um, Kind of why your new uh, new New Zealand accent isn't quite a New Zealand accent, mm-hmm. um, and if there were any, uh, let's start with that. Let's start mm-hmm. with that actually. Um, yeah, so grew up in Vancouver, um, just a little suburb outside there, and uh, went to school for engineering. Um, but uh, that's just the career path. The mm-hmm. part I enjoyed was snowboarding and skateboarding my whole life, kind of thing, hanging out with friends. Um, yeah, and then as soon as uh, you know, school is over and I start paying bills, um, try to get a job in Vancouver, but it's just too competitive. Um, too many people love that city, so everyone wants to be there. So um, Sam wanted to go traveling, and uh, we kind of compromised and said, let's move over here because they need engineers after the earthquake, Christchurch, which was yeah, pretty devastating. One of our professors was actually in the earthquake. And he was given a seminar about earthquakes, and uh, yeah, he had a pretty, pretty interesting seminar that he gave us. Um, a lot of photos, and just he was there for the whole um, aftermath and taking care mm-hmm. of everyone. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, kind of a little bit eye-opening, and realizing there's a whole other place that has the same issues Vancouver does, but a little bit more. Yeah, prominent. yeah. Is uh, just adds another layer of kind of practicality to the stuff that you're doing, yeah, with, with the engineering as well, yeah. So uh, yeah, I just felt like it was a bit better experience in a place that was most similar to Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah, you know, a lot of green, a lot of uh, similar-minded people. Everyone always says New Zealand, Canada are similar, Australia, America are similar. So we bought a we got a visa to both Australia and New Zealand, and then we just came here first to see if we could make it happen. And yeah, it was just all clear sailing, easy. We got first job, interview, got it. Landed in Wellington, got it. Yeah. Got a place. Um, so yeah, that was six years ago and haven't left. Yeah. So not very uncomfortable there at all. No. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Yeah. So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, um, and moved to Vancouver for uni. And then I stayed there for about, I was there for about seven years all up never wanting to return back to Calgary. There just was some disconnect there on the culture and um, the values, which was a lot of material things and accumulating trucks and houses and all of that. And I just didn't feel like I was, could connect to that. So when I moved to Vancouver, just, I don't know, West Coast vibe, I think, mm. like people a bit more relaxed, um, lots of um, connection with nature. There's forests and mountains and beaches, and I just loved it there. Um, and so, yeah, there was a bit of um, kind of, travel bug though after being there for about three years after I graduated um, 
And then when we, when Kevin came home one day from school being like, how would you feel if I moved us to New Zealand? (laughs) I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, um, yeah. So like he made it sound like it was like super, it was super easy, but actually it was very uncomfortable for us because, um, moving from Calgary to Vancouver was an easy move because I had a lot of extended family and I had some friends there already. Um, but moving to another country where, yeah, we speak the language, but we had backpacks and that was it. Like we had a visa, no job from prospects, um, coming into the country, knew a friend, one friend of a friend who kind of put us up for a couple of days, which was really awesome. But it was a huge transition for us to move over here and we didn't know how, how long we would stay. We had a one year visa. So, um, Kevin found work like within two weeks, I think, um, moved us to Wellington. And then, uh, my background is, uh, my degrees in criminology and psychology. Um, and then they went back to school uh, for count- for addictions counseling. So I've been working in, um, social services or kind of addiction settings for, um, my time through uni and afterwards. So coming here, I was hopefully looking for like the career job to, um, to, to yeah build my CV and to get some experience overseas, not knowing if we would be going home or not. Um, but that was really hard. So I just started applying for like everything travel agent or like air New Zealand, um, like air hostess or like a medical receptionist, all stuff that I had no experience in, but was like, Hey, we're here for a year. Um, and luckily the only job that I was offered was as an addictions counselor. So in my field, <laughs> um, so it all kind of universe set that in place for us. But, um, spent um what about, what about four years or three years um counseling at a um NGO so doing one-on-one and group counseling um in Wellington and then um got promoted to um, managing the team or three three teams around Wellington um took that taking that management job knowing full well that I had plans in the background to leave and start our own business. So, yeah. So, um, but it was really, it was a good, ex- it was a good experience because I knew going into to, uh, entrepreneurship, I would need some of those management skills. So that was actually a really good stepping stone for me to transition out of that. But, um, yeah. And then on the, um, in the background behind all of that, I did my yoga teacher training here as well in 2013. And that, um, it's been something I've been doing for the last four and a half years, um, at High Echo Wellington in town, been teaching there part-time a couple of classes a week. So cool. it's kept, kept me busy. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's cool to kind of hear your, hear your backgrounds. Um, yeah. there are a couple of things that came out of that and yeah. I, I know that you kind of, you make the move to New Zealand sound easy and sound yeah. like it was almost kind of a spur of the moment mm. thing. But or like, what was the process that you guys went mm. through there? Was it just a spur of the moment thing? And I was like, um, let's little, do it. Let's book it. There's a little bit of that. Like, I guess it, there's always going to be uncomfortable uncom- uncom- about stuff like that, but the excitement trumped that. So yeah. I think as we're going through the motions, there's still a lot of excitement. Like, Oh, this is brand new. And you start selling all your stuff and you start like, yeah, telling your friends that you're just going to go to this uh, far place land and and live a new life. And, um, it just seemed like a, like you're going traveling because you get a one year visa expecting maybe I might go for one year, maybe two years. I'll be back. Um, so it wasn't like, Oh, this is goodbye and this is it. So I think the excitement surrounding it made it, or at least the memory of it seems like it was, um, pretty easy yeah 
you would have like you would have come home. It would have been June or July of 2011, and we moved in February 2012. So it was probably about six months before we actually left. Um, I had just started um, a really great job working in a prison, and that was something that really excited me. So that there was a bit of a twinge of like, am I giving up? like my career job, the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life and absolutely love doing I, and, and go to New Zealand and who knows what, and then come back and not have a job when I, uh, you know, and it, that was definitely some fear around that. Um, but saying that I've always been the type of person who likes to set big goals, tell everybody I know <laughs> to almost like make myself accountable to it. And then even if it doesn't work out, it's like, Oh, at least I kind of put it out there and didn't just kind of like hold it, hold it on inside and then just stew on the fact that I'm not doing what I want to do. So, um, I remember distinctly, um, but right before we left, multiple people told us like, you're so brave. I could never sell all my things and go somewhere and just not know what to expect. And both of us kind of had it. Like we kind of looked at each other being like, like, you can, you just, mm. you're choosing not to. Um, and even to this day, I have people like, I still can't believe you've, you know, you've got like that you've opened a, you know, you're doing all this, that open a business or that you still that you stole, sold all your stuff. That's what I keep hearing. I can't believe you sold all your stuff and left. And it was just, it like, real sweet yeah. stuff that you had? No, it was like <laughs> old coffee tables, like, like, generation, like the hand me down yeah. furniture. That probably antiques it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was all <laughs> like, not even like we just like, he was doing his masters and I was working. So like, we did not have a, a very, um, fancy life or anything out there, but, um, I don't know. It just, it didn't seem as big of a deal. Mm. I think to us at the time we were 24, so we were quite young still. And it seemed really exciting. And, even if we were to just go for a year, like we had planned, hey, let's do New Zealand for a year. And then after that, let's go to like, I don't know, Qatar for a year. And let's go see if we live in Thailand for a year. Because with, as a structural engineer for him, like it's really easy to travel around the world doing mm. that. For me in social services, a little bit less so, but like the travel excited me. So it was like, oh, we can like take advantage of the fact that you have this like universal skill that can be um, transferred from country to country and buildings are still built in the same way yeah, um, yeah but that never happened we stayed like we're still here you got stuck yeah. <laughs> I, I won't ask the typical new zealand question that uh that i'm sure you guys heard a lot of is what's your favorite part uh well i think if we had not had we not landed in wellington like had we ended up in christchurch which was very likely because of the earthquake or in auckland i don't know if we would have stayed as long as we did to be honest because auckland I really like Auckland as a city, but as a vibe, it's very similar to Vancouver. Like it's really spread out, lots of people, lots of traffic. And that's what we had just left. And mm. then Christchurch, when we went down a year later, it was like ghost town. It was, it was yeah. like very eerie to be downtown in Christchurch a year later. And so I don't know if we would have stayed um, in either of those cities for as long as we did, but Wellington has such a cool vibe to it. Like it's an mm. interesting culture and, it's like a really big village, and I think it's a big part of what what's kept us here. Yeah, so. yeah, and I'm I'm biased, but yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know if there's too many other places in New Zealand that I'd live outside of Wellington. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think like one of the points that you made through uh, what you were just talking about then was that other people were quite averse to to what you were doing as well, and I think it's like it's really hard for some people to let go of what they have even if it means 
going after something that is that mm. is really cool. So they, I mean, what you what you're hanging on to is you know you've got your your safe, you've got your thirty year old coffee table, and yeah, I know how that stain got there and, and what yeah. that is. But if I go and if I go and get a new one, then mm, I don't know who's been putting their coffee cups on that. I don't know <laughs> if I like that. Um, and it's it's really it's really tough. And I think yeah, I I probably kind of operated from that place, maybe not about coffee tables, but about hanging on to the stuff that I was kind of certain of and that I and that I knew. And sometimes it takes a while to wrap your wrap your head around that kind of stepping outside of what it is that you you've got here. And yeah, I mean there's that there's that kind of quote, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the ones in the bush are just so much better. Yeah. <laughs> or even just the process of going to find those things is yeah, the yeah. most enjoyable part. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's very cool as well. And I think, yeah, one one thing that I've been enjoying through kind of my what what I've been doing is the is the process of it yeah. and um that having having like sort of process based goals and enjoying that rather than a sort of an, an end point that I want to get to is yeah it's valuable for having fun every day rather than sort of having fun at the at the end point um just to kind of delve into you guys a little bit deeper what drew you to engineering and what drew you to addiction counseling I uh, ask myself that question every now and then. Um, Maybe my, does it still draw you to engineering? My grandpa was um, an engineer back in uh, yeah, the World War, and he flew um, planes. So I, I got it from, I guess, him just you know engineering as a career path. Um, and then, yeah, not really knowing fully what it entailed, whether it was physics-based, chemical chemistry-based um, biology and all that. So I, I just kind of started taking classes in high school, and I found that I just did better at math than I did at um, other kind of like English and history and all that. I just really was more engaged and intrigued by it. I like numbers and problem-solving. So, um, yeah, just knowing that you have to get a job and you have to kind of go into a career path, that this was a really repeatable career, I kind of just went in that direction because I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess kind of getting into that comfort zone and doing it for a few years, um, started to question all that myself as well. So just whether or not I should have done that or I should have done something completely different or maybe done something that would be able to express myself more um, rather than you know, be tied up in an office. So that's kind of where we are now. Um, mm. You know, I've had those thoughts and that's where we opened up our business is just to do something a bit different, to um, do something that was our own. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, it, it's really interesting. Like, I mean, you can, you can get really wrapped up in the what ifs and what if I'd done that? Or what if I'd done this? And what if I'd done that? You didn't. Yeah. And <laughs> like you've, you and, and I, um, I, I'm kind of similar with, with what you're talking about there, Kevin is like, I've learned some really valuable skills along the way, had some pretty good times as well with it. Mm. And, like if I hadn't done what I did, would I be sitting here in this room talking yeah. to you guys now? Uh, maybe, but maybe, maybe not as well. Mm. Maybe I'd be, I don't know, sitting in a corporate office somewhere. Um, yeah, not wearing, not wearing shorts to work. Um, so yeah, I think you can, <laughs> the, the, the questions are important, but uh, yeah, the what next rather than what if. 
I remember my mom asked me that if I regretted going into it, and I said absolutely not. I mean, it's provided me with a life that it's been so I'm grateful for. It, it brought me over here, and um, it gave me a great kind of uh, you know means to open up a business. So it's provided me everything I have right now. So um, I can never say that I ever regret doing what I do. Um, but there's always that. Hey, what if I had another life? How would I do it differently? Mm. And there's always those thoughts because. Um, yeah, if you can live your life uh, a million times over, it'd probably be different every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> yeah, and for me, um, I originally went to uni for dance, actually. I enrolled in a dance program because that's just what I did my whole life. No one in my family had been to university, so I knew nothing about what that entailed or what even like the program options were. Like It all was really a blur, and so I was like, okay, well, what do I know? I spend seven days a week dancing, so why don't I just do that? <laughs> and so that's what brought me over to Vancouver into that particular school. Um, and then about two weeks in, I had this little, like, I don't know, fifth life crisis, I guess, at that age, at 18 years old, to be like, what am I going to do with a dance degree? Like, I'm quite a type A personality, and I'm, I like to plan and organize, and I kind of look at that being like twenty to $25,000 that I'm paying out of pocket to get a degree in something that is not really going to get me anywhere. And I'd always kind of been, I guess, told that like you go to university to get a degree so you get a job so you can have that job for 40 years and then you retire. Um, so um, I had a little, like a moment, a freak out being like, not, I, like if I, if anything, I would open a dance studio and then I, you should get a business degree and not a dance degree. Like I'm not going to be a performer. Like, so I dropped out of the dance program and this was two weeks into the semester. So uh, ended up just picking up whatever classes were left over in Headspace. So it was a whole gamut of random things like biology and French and sociology and political science and then a criminology class. And the school I went to has got um, like a pretty well-known criminology school. And uh, I just loved it. I was so intrigued by like the topic. So I think part of it out of it is um, an interest in people. And so hearing about like, why people do things the way that they do it. And so segued out of dance into criminology and psychology, which go hand in hand. Um, through the course of university, kind of tapped into a number of different jobs through like a co-op internship type of program. So I did like background checking. I worked for the Border Patrol um, and realized that well, neither of those really are of interest to me, thought maybe I might do law afterwards. Um, and then we were in university when the big financial crisis hit. So that promise of a job at the end of your four-year bachelor disappeared, especially for someone with an arts degree. Um, engineering, a little bit different. Um, but an arts degree, it's like, yeah, not not happening, especially coming right out of school. So I worked... Um, on I started working on a helpline and they did a number of different uh, streams but one of them included that alcohol and drug um, and also worked in a halfway house with men on parole and 95% of them had alcohol and drug issues so we had a counselor in in house and he's the one who kind of motivated me to go back to school and do counseling um, and so did did my training um, kept working on the helpline and then got the job in the prison and then we left to come here. And so the, um, getting the job here in New Zealand was the first like proper face-to-face counseling job that I had received. So I felt a little bit out of place because 
totally different culture in New mm. Zealand. I knew nothing about the history of New Zealand or kind of the cultural problems that um, you know are systemic here. The drug use that's done here is quite different than um, in Vancouver as well. And so uh, I just was like so fascinated by like by learning about people and then being able to guide them through their process uh, rather than like my goal is not to fix people. It's to guide them through their own or facilitate their own kind of health journey. Um, it was very cool because the organization I worked for provided free access to adults. So um, we saw all sorts of people, everyone you can imagine, um, every demographic you can imagine and all different, um, all different substances. And I just, I'm very passionate about the, that work and mm. it was it was a difficult choice, but it was the right choice for me to leave my job um, to start Floatwell because when we were talking about it, it was like, well, in terms of our skills, like we have very different skills. They're quite complementary, but Kevin is very numbers and problem solving and troubleshooting and quite um, good with his hands and um, working on like the mechanics of like the actual equipment, whereas I'm much more operational. So I can I do like HR and <laughs> customer service and all of that stuff and, and organizing and, and, and planning. So operations is, is more my, my forte. So in getting everything up and running, I was like, okay, actually I need to, my salary wouldn't support the two of us, first of all. Um, and so it just makes more sense financially and makes more sense logistically for me to leave my job. But I had just enrolled in a postgraduate diploma down in Otago that I had to give up um, because you had to be working in the field to uh, to pursue that education. And so there, there was, it was a big decision for me. It was a lot of grief, actually, or like, or like mourning the loss of that career path for me, even, and that was only two, less than two years ago. Um, but like I can always go back to it, and that's mm. like that's definitely part of it. But there's um, like it was a very meaningful work. It was a difficult environment to work in in terms of uh, work life balance and, and managing the impact of the work on your personal life um, and your just kind of your own mental health. But um, it's really it's important work, and so I, I found a lot of meaning in it. Where I could see Kevin losing his passion for his uh, his career, but having to do it to support us financially so that we can go on this kind of entrepreneurial journey. So it was a very interesting dynamic in our relationship at that time and, and ongoing as well. But we've, um, yeah, we've had quite different journeys up to, up to that point. It's probably for the best though. Cause I think if I was running business, it would have fallen apart. <laughs> <laughs> Sands are a good workhorse. I'm more of the efficiency ideas guy, but when it comes to day-to-day -day operations, I'll just, ah, screw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this bores me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think like now, now is a great time to actually have a bit of a chat about float well. Yeah. And I mean, you got, we've talked a little bit about starting it and kind of, stepping away from things and, and, mm. and what's happened there but like where did the idea come from and actually what is float yeah. well first yeah and then where did the idea come from yeah so um so float well is a float tank center and for those who um who've never heard of it because it's a fairly new concept for a lot of people um flotation therapy is um it basically comprises of a float tank, which a large enclosed tub it has 500 kgs of Epsom salt and a 
and about 30 centimeters of uh, warm water, same temperature as your skin. So when you get into this water, it's hyper buoyant. So you lie back and you like float effortlessly on the surface. So the closest thing I can um, attune it to is like the Dead Sea, but much more relaxing because you're indoors and you're not around other people. <laughs> We're getting burned by the sun. We're getting burned by the sun. Yeah. Um, so the idea um, stems um, from the 50s, actually, from John Lilly, and he was this quite eccentric. Um, physiologist, psychologist, uh, explorer of the mind and all, all sorts of quirky things. Um, he was interested in the idea of sensory deprivation. So what happens to the mind when you withdraw the sensory input? So, uh, take away sight, sound, you know, touch particular, but smell, um, smell and taste as well. So what, what can happen to the consciousness in the mind when you withdraw all of that? Because we're constantly overstimulated by the world around us. And that was in the 50s, like the, how the world has evolved since then. And the stimulation that's come with that has been pretty ex exponential. So um, there was a, um, a bit of a surge in, in floating and the, and the idea of it in kind of like the 60s and 70s. And then somewhere in the 80s, it just like plummeted um, kind of right around the propaganda around like AIDS. People got worried about using public facilities like pools and saunas and, and float tanks. It was very new agey at the time. Um, so it kind of just disappeared. And then in the last probably, what, eight years or so, there's been this resurgence, particularly in the United States, but now it's gone to Europe and Australia and Canada and other places around the world where it's been, um, it's starting to be researched again about the benefits of floating, but not just around sensory deprivation, but just being weightless like that in the water. Um, so the centers that have emerged now um, are more focused on providing a holistic experience of um, physical relaxation by being buoyant in the water, mental relaxation by being kind of tucked away for a period of time um, without any distractions, and then also the ability to let the mind kind of explore and wander around like creative thought or meditation or things like that. So we have in our facility four float tanks, um, and so we provide the service of, of floating um, for people. And um, yeah, and that's kind of what, I guess, what the facility is. Um, and yeah, we started it because we just had a general interest in it. Um, you had heard it in the Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan podcast, podcast yeah. Is, yeah. A lot of podcasts has all started as well. So he, um, yeah, we've just been big time advocates of him and listening to Joe Rogan and he has his own in his house. Yeah. So he's kind of um, helped us resurgence. So basically a year after we left Vancouver, there is um, a few float centers that just opened up right away. So we were like, damn. Missed our chance. <laughs> yeah. um, bought our parents some for Christmas, and uh, yeah, they loved it. And um, dad was kind of floating regularly. Um, and then up in Auckland, a float center opened up um, uh, for yeah, three years ago. Yeah. So we um, went and gave it a go there. And uh, every time we'd go up to Auckland, we'd you know tag on a float on a trip. But that was once every maybe six, eight months. So yeah. we are like, man, I really want to see, like, how deep you can go and what you can actually achieve with this as a regular practice. Um, so I think when we went up one for Sam's birthday, one weekend, we uh, both of us kind of came up with the idea like, well, what would it take to bring it to Wellington? And we're in the tank thinking that. And then, um, yeah, we just started having that idea percolate and, you know, kicking that rock a little bit further and just keep, oh, what, what happens to do this and, and that. And we talked to uh, one of the owners and, um, yeah, just kept going and running with that idea and then, you know, putting ourselves into that. And again, 
during the whole process, it didn't feel uncomfortable. There's uncomfortable moments, but like I said earlier, the excitement kind of trumped all that. So, um, yeah, when we signed our lease, we were a little bit taken back. Oh, this is scary. But I think the overall general feeling of excitement was just really thrilling. Um, so we just kept kind of pushing that and just seeing what we can do. And from September uh, two years ago yeah, well, until we had- uh, December, we signed a lease and we started construction. And- yeah, like we had actually, like after that, what, fourth float I think up in Auckland when we actually sat down with the owner and we're like what does it take like and then um, we went back to Canada for a month and visited a number of float centers there just started talking to the owners and asking them and seeing their facilities talking to our families and my dad and Kevin's dad both have run their own businesses so just kind of talking to them about what that might be like because we don't have a background in business or marketing or management or accounting or any of the skills that you would typically need to start a business. Um, but they were so supportive. And then we spent two months in Indonesia and we didn't have a laptop. We just kind of, we had our phones, but like not really good Wi-Fi. So we just like talked about it for two months and we were super relaxed and like getting excited about it and like sketching logos and name like creating names and all of that and then we came back and we're like yeah let's let's do this downloaded the template off of the business.gov website started making a business plan (laughs) which ended up being a 45 page document that we handed to the bank and they were like yeah yeah they were they like no questions asked just gave us the money we wanted because we did such such a thorough job which we thought was you're supposed to do but um, (laughs) that's a little bit of our yeah, type A and engineering background. <laughs> meticulous. Very meticulous and not knowing, so we'll just go all yeah. in. and. I think it was yeah. about risk management is what it was, yeah. because there was fear around, like, if we're going to do this, like, mm. particularly for me, it's like, if I'm going to leave my job, which I love, and I love the, you know, the industry that I work in, like, what, like, we need to be prepared, and we need to kind of actually do thorough research into it, um, and, and, yeah. And then, but I think at the same time, I remember us having this conversation of like, okay, what's the worst that could happen? It's like before we sign the lease, before we get our loan, like what is the worst that could happen is we go bankrupt and we owe the bank all of that money. Okay. So how would we manage that? We would just go back into our old jobs and eventually pay it off. Cool. It's just, just money. We, we came here with very little money, almost yeah. zero money. And we yeah. made enough money to convince the banks in a few years to give us bit more money so we can open a business. So yeah. yeah, we just figured well we saved a lot of money. We can we did it once. We can, we can do it again. again. So yeah. really if if the only risk is financial, um money is something that you can just put a lot of time to making and working hard at. Um so yeah. it's not like there's any other risks to our lives or anything. So yeah, no. we just went yeah. for it. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. And it like I mean I don't know if you guys have seen Tim Ferriss's TED talk on fear setting. It's yeah. like, yeah, very, very similar concept of what's the worst that can happen and um, going through all of that. But then also I like how he goes into what's the best that could happen with this and kind of how do they how do they weigh up. And I think, I mean, risk management is probably something that I don't do. Yeah. particularly well and thankfully with the with the podcast there's not a whole lot of risk involved with it i suppose i could say something really bad one day and like someone could take me to court and, and get sued i don't know if i have enough listeners though to, <laughs> to not really warrant, the new zealand mentality to, yeah, though. maybe you're in america yeah, warrant <laughs> someone taking me to court um but yeah i think that the risk management stuff is it is interesting um and it sounds like uh, like is that something that kind of 
you approach most of your deci- uh, business based decisions with, or um, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so we did we did that kind of at the very beginning, and then we opened it, and then um, I feel like when we opened, um, as we started progressing along, you know, that fear starts to set in again. Mm. So. Up until recently, we just had a bunch of meetings, one with uh, a member who's um, a CEO and a very um, good client of ours, and I sat down with him, and um, yeah, he, he's, he said at 25, he had $60 million, at 26, he had $0, but um, just talking to him about that mindset, and he brought it back to risk management. He, again, reassured me what I once knew and then kind of forgot, so it it comes and goes, and we forget about the risk, and then we get to remind ourselves and go back and then try and plan it. So we just did a whole little risk management plan about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So when we go forward, we can maybe take on more risk. And if we want to do something else and keep kind of growing our business into different things, at least we have a plan and mm-hmm. we don't live in fear, live in, in playing the small game, but we can you know work on other things and think about the big picture, mm-hmm. the longer kind of solution. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's not always at the front of our minds, and mm. that's probably the problem because um, yeah. fear creeps in. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you remind yourself of the need to to do risk management? Is it when you notice that that fear pops up? Yeah, like we, um, I kind of thought to myself, like when we pursued this endeavor, that like. I, I kind of speak for the two of us in this, but um, is that like we're not the type of people to let ourselves fail at anything. Now, saying that. I like, I love planning, I love lists, I love organizing, like for, like forecasting the future, but I'm, I'm also um, living by the fact that the way that I had planned things to go, like, it doesn't matter if it goes that way or not. Things always change. Things never turn out the way that you had originally thought and that's okay. And it's just about being able to kind of let go of any expectation of outcome. And as we were talking about before, about process, about being able to be comfortable with, uh, with the journey there. So I think um, we probably remind each other about like our fear because we tend to ebb and flow back and forth around like me being really stressed out and anxious about how we're doing and him being like, it's fine. Like, but like, look at the accounting, like everything's going well and it will blah, blah, blah. And then he'll get stressed out about something. And I'm just, and I'm usually the one feeling really stable and calm. And, and so we kind of feed off each other in that. Um, there's only been, I think a very few times in the last year and a half when we've both been like really stressed and anxious. And the other person hasn't been kind of in that place to be able to support that, to support each other. So, um, yeah. It's, it's good. I mean, when you guys get to that point where you're both stressed and anxious, <laughs> like how do you how do you manage that besides just going and floating? Yeah, uh, well, that's part of it. That's a, <laughs> that's, a bit, that's a big part of our self-care. But I think what's been helpful for us is because we we live together, we run a business together, like we, we spend our whole lives together at the moment. We're very integrated in one another's day-to-day life. Um, getting some outside support has been really important to us so when we have gone through kind of edgy or like periods of discomfort um seeking seeking uh advice or feet getting trying to get feedback from someone else to look at it from an outside perspective like objectively has been super helpful because we are so in the business we are i'm still running it on a day like day-to-day basis we do have some staff but we're in in the day-to-day looking at 
the numbers every single hour to hour. And sometimes you need to be, have someone to pull you back and look at, say, hey, actually, let's look at this month or this quarter or the last mm. year. But sometimes we're so zoomed in. So, yeah. yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really tempting to kind of consistently monitor things to... to see how well you're going yeah. with things but like sometimes you'll take a, a couple of steps forward and then there'll be a step back mm. for, for some reason or sometimes it's one step forward and then a couple of steps back yeah. and if you look at it too closely and I'm just going to drop another podcaster in here I don't know if you guys know Dan Carlin oh yeah, yeah. Uh, hardcore yeah, history but like he's he says like if you're if you're looking at the the minutiae or if you're looking at sort of a point in time it's like staring at a billboard from five centimeters away. You need to give yourself, take a couple of steps back so you can see yeah. sort of the whole picture. And that's, yeah, looking at, at it over a, over a month or a quarter and yeah. noticing the trends rather yeah. than saying, oh, hey, no one's, no one's come in in this hour block or yeah. I haven't had any downloads for the last 30 minutes. What's happening here? Yeah, exactly. It's easy to get caught up in in that because you're like, and it's important to be zoomed in sometimes and to mm. look at the details, but it, it is just as important to zoom out and look at bigger picture. So sometimes we're good at doing that ourselves, but I find oftentimes as soon as we talk to someone who's not us, <laughs> one of the two of us, they're looking at it from the bigger picture. No one else, you know, no one else is going to be looking at our business as zoomed in as we are. So they mm. look at it from the out, an outside perspective and having some objective feedback is really useful. And sometimes it's constructive criticism and other times it's reassurance and validation. And both of those have been really useful for us. Yeah. And I guess that's part of um, the complications of doing it on your own and living so far away. So because it's just Sam and I, you know, we, the only time we can realize that we're too zoomed in is when maybe we start going through a bit of stressful times or, mm. or having them tight burnouts and then like, Oh wow, this is a lot of kind of emotional response. We need to figure out how to change this. And then we can step out and we can seek help. If we're in a place where we had um, a lot more support, maybe it'd be easier just to help other people pull you out kind of thing. Mm. So it's just the nature that what we, what we have to deal with together. And mm. um, I think, like you said, two steps forward, one back, but that step back, is a crucial learning step for us. Mm. So now we've gone through a few things and now we, all right, we've gone through it. It's not just an idea. It's turned into an emotion and we can kind of identify with that emotion next time, how that actually feels. And then when we go forward, we can just keep going forward and not having to go back. So maybe three steps forward and then one back next mm. time. So, um, yeah, everything we've, we've done has just been nonstop learning. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's <laughs> one of the most enjoyable parts of, of any process. And I, like, I, I really like the way that you put that about you, uh, you're noticing sort of what's not going right with things, but then you're also relating it back to a feeling inside your body so mm. that when you see that pop up again, you can kind of question it and say, Hey, this is what happened last time. Is this happening yeah. again? And that's, yeah, that's probably an, uh, it's not something that I kind of thought about too much in detail, but probably yeah, what I what I do sometimes as well. Mm. Um, I'm interested in like the going and seeking help from people. Mm. Do you tend to kind of go to the same person or the same type of person every time, mm. or do you kind of look for a, a diversity of perspective mm. on some of the challenges that you yeah. face? We we don't usually. It, that one one reason why we love Wellington and New Zealand is because the help is there. Mm. So Wellington City Council has provided us with some 
great resources, and they've even given us free sessions with all these people. So when we go through these times, an email pops in and it's like, hey, have a free session with this person, and they'll do this and help build your goals. And we're like, yep, we need that right now. And we do that, and it's a whole new person, give us a whole new perspective. Mm-hmm. And then someone else will come in. So like, there's a lot of support in the actual community mm-hmm. that we find that yeah. we'll just take when we need. And it's, it's yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So. We've got good networks in, in Wellington as well. I've been very fortunate um, in my yoga teaching. Like I'm a contractor um, teacher, so I teach the studio. And But the owners of the studio have been immensely supportive to us. And we were very fortunate to sit down with the two of them at, uh, before, we all, before we even kind of started. It was just an idea. And to be like, so how do you start a business? <laughs> you know, and, and since then have been, you know, still huge supports for us. And then um, when it comes to like very specific float stuff, because it's quite a niche industry, mm. the industry is incredible. Like there is nothing like this. I don't think anywhere in the world where we have a Facebook group of, I would say probably over 90% of the float center owners around the world. And it's just like an open forum, like ask any question you want. It could be about a customer. It could be about marketing. It could be technical around the tanks. It could be like, it could be celebration. It could be anything. And some you'll get a slew of probably 30 people that respond to you. Um, and then we've created, um, a New Zealand version of that as well. So we've gone around and made sure that we've got all the owners of the different float centers in New Zealand. And there's almost about 20 places in New Zealand that now have float tanks. Um, and done the same things so that we can talk about very specific New Zealand related stuff. So it's like, Oh, did you see this on the news? Or um, I've run out of salt. And I need to, I need someone to send me salt or I've run, run out of testing strips for the water and whatever. And so we help each other out. So um, it's such a supportive and transparent community that it's about collaborating with each other because it's an industry that's so new and it really is in its infancy and it is growing tremendously uh, that I don't think there's like anything like that, that you have a mm. web, a Facebook group of every massage therapist in the world or every physiotherapist in the world. Like there's just, there's associations, but this is very informal, very family-like, like it's very mm. community oriented and it's been amazing. Yeah, for that's us. really, really interesting actually to kind of look at it that from that point of view. And it's really sort of like an abundance point of yeah. view that you're looking at it yeah. from rather than a scarcity one that yeah. everyone is supporting each other yeah. with it. And it's kind of a runs contrary to what a mm. lot of kind of what, what people think business runs like exactly. from a really competitive yeah. point of view. Yeah. And mm. it doesn't have to be like that. And that's, what's really cool is you'll get people who they have different styles of tanks or they run their, they run their business in a different way and they don't may not agree with the way that, that we do or in terms of what works for them, but there's still the support in, in the community. So it's something that I don't think we could have um, opened this, the business without, without that support really, because the amount of resources that's available through that online community. Um, and even us dropping into float centers and be like, Hey, we are thinking of opening up a float center in New Zealand when we were in Canada and then be like, yeah, cool. Let's sit down and have a coffee. And let's like, let me give you like some advice and the things that I wish I knew when I was opening up. Um, and we've done the same thing for new centers in New Zealand that have opened up. And, um, it's, it's really quite special. Actually, we've had floats, we've visited float centers. They've come to visit us float with us like it's it's pretty amazing it is that's yeah. rad um i want to kind of change tack slightly yeah. like i've i've never floated before mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm gonna have to come down and see you guys and, <laughs> and go for a float at some point but the, i'm sure there are a lot of people out there that haven't if yeah. you were to describe the experience to someone because 
going from a kind of hyper-stimulated environment where you're on edge all the time to this kind of immersive experience um, just uh, with a whole lot of sensory deprivation is probably quite confronting for mm. a lot of people. Like what's the, what's kind of, what was your guys' first experience mm. like and what are other people's first experiences like? Um, yeah, mine was, I would say, not the most profound. Um, it's an interesting environment because, yeah, you, put, you take yourself right out of all the stimulation um, and you're trying to sort out, you know, all this new stuff around you. Know, where should I put my hands? Uh, should I have the lights on or off? How do I breathe properly? Should I be thinking? Should I try and not think? All right, don't think. All right, tell me stop thoughts and start thinking. So it's you, you keep overthinking things and, and keep trying to control things where really you should just kind of put yourself in a position that feels comfortable and then just let whatever happens, happens. Um, and some people find that they sleep. Some people find that they end up having a very clear mind and they do some meditation practices. Other people just end up thinking about um, stuff with a clear mind so you can um, come up with really cool ideas or even just think through problems or, or issues. Or, you know, we've had so many clients that have come in and said that, you know, an hour in the tank is like a year of therapy to them. But also some people don't like thinking um, about personal things. So uh, maybe throwing on some music and just kind of lying back to some music. So yeah, my first float was uh, a little bit difficult. And then the next float, Oh, okay. I know my space. I know the surrounding. I can easily drop in easier because I'm more comfortable. And then after that, they just get easier and easier because you're more familiar and you have less kind of um, you know, notions or anxieties about how to do or control your environment. So mm. as soon as you can let go of control and, and just be with it and be comfortable and um, you know, get rid of that uncomfortableness, um, then it, it starts to get pretty cool. Yeah, but saying that, like, I would say most people either, they fall into a couple of camps when they come in for their first float. They're usually really nervous and, like, almost, like, afraid of what it's going to be like because the idea of being alone scares the shit out of them, which I find so fascinating that people can be so, like, we're so plugged into computers and phones and screens and go, go, go busyness that to ask somebody to spend an hour by themselves is super confronting and actually quite scary for them to think about. Um, and from, I guess, um, my background and more like I'm working with people with mental health issues and things like that. It's like, that's it's fascinating to me that there's that much anxiety uh, about being left on their own, but saying that you can customize the experience to make it more comfortable for you by choosing lights on rather than lights off or having music playing through the whole thing or being left in silence or sometimes facing the fears and deciding, okay, today I'm going to leave the lid open for my first float, but then I'm going to actually, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll try to close it for the last 10 minutes. And then most people, what they realize is when they come out that it actually because they're in control of the environment and how much stimulation that they're going to receive, that they come out being like, Oh, actually that was not nearly as like scary as I thought it was going to be. Oh, it was fine. Or I just fell asleep. I was so relaxed. We get that a lot. Um, we get also another camp of people who come in with really high expectations of having this super trippy, psychedelic, amazing, profound experience. And then it doesn't necessarily meet that the first time, because as Kevin said, you're, you're much more alert on the first float as you're you're kind of contemplating the space and becoming familiar with the environment. So what we find for most people is that the more that they do, it doesn't necessarily get like get easier 
you get more, you get more familiar with how to settle in, but saying that depending on the state of mind that you come in, I still sometimes go in for a float thinking this is going to be awesome. It's going to be able to relax for an hour. And my mind is like, like the whole time. So like learning how to be okay with that and not feed into the narrative and the storytelling and the chatter and the busyness and, and, and to be able to, okay, just like focus on your breath then or do a body scan or just let whatever thoughts going to come, let them come in. Don't try and throw them away. Just let them come and go. So it's, um, it's a practice similar to meditation or similar to going to the gym that you do at once. It's not going to change your life likely, but if you do it again and again, you get better at, um, being with yourself, being unattached to the, to the outcome, um, setting no expectations and, and, and letting go. Finding that stillness. Um, yeah. Like one thing I, I realized when we first started is like, there's this, you know, constant little ball of energy that just keeps moving inside. And then as soon as you can start letting go of, of those anxieties of control, you can actually find more stillness. Um, and then you get more comfortable with just everything around you. And it translates so well into your real life because, you know, walking down the street, if someone honks at you as you're crossing the crosswalk, most people would just like, what? Oh, and they just get ramped up and they want to yell at them or something. But like, you can just be comfortable with that and just, all right, like, sorry if I upset you. And you can go about your whole day being more still and comfortable. So um, it's just about, you know, kind of having more yin and, and life has a lot more yang outside. So mm-hmm. you can kind of find that in the pod and, and recognize that a bit more. And similar to what I said earlier about, you know, feeling those emotions when you, you get burnt out or you get afraid or stressed out, you can start identifying those things so much easier in the pod because you have no other stimulation. Mm-hmm. So you can really focus on those small things and those little nuances. So mm, it's a kind of unplugging from, from everything else and mm. just kind of learning to be with yourself yeah. and yeah. sort of become more aware of your, of yeah. yourself and yeah. what's, what's happening. Yeah. 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 And it's an, it's a, it's an easier environment to do in because you're physically so comfortable because you're weightless. Like there's not, there's nothing like that to be fully weightless. And then having the temperature of the air and the water being very, very similar that you can't even feel where they meet. So it actually just like, it's like, Oh, are my fingers in or are they out of the water? You wiggle them like, okay, they're out. Wait a minute. Are my eyes open or are they closed? You have to blink a couple times because it's so dark in there that it's the same sensation that like your body once, once it's comfortable to let go that, like the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in that fight or flight response, you know, disappears. You can just get like, you get so relaxed that say some people just fall asleep. As soon as they get into the tank, they lie back, they get cozy and they're just gone. And they're like, that felt like it was two minutes. Other people um, might experience a bit of boredom as well. You know, and those tend to be the people who are overstimulated in their life and don't practice unplugging um that they'll be like well like what am i supposed to do in here like kind of like like if you're tapping your foot or something like should i check the time to see how long have i been in here how long do i have left and it's that's usually because there's less um experience in doing nothing and being okay with not um accomplishing something like ticking off something on your to-do list which we're not super good at as a species i think <laughs> no, no definitely, definitely not yeah. definitely not i go through phases of being good at not taking off things on my to-do list yeah um unfortunately i've got quite a few of them on there at the moment uh, yeah. so it's well, probably to-do lists are great yeah but, mm, well, you gotta I, recognize when to put it away and just when like 
when you're in the pod, you don't need to work on your to-do list because yeah. you're mm-hmm. there just to worry about self-care and yourself. Yeah. When you get out, maybe have a little tea and relax, and then you go back to accomplishing things and, and kind of, you know, setting your, your life's course. But um, you just have to have moments and places for things. You can't just be all work, 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 drive, drive, drive. Mm. So. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone reasonably in depth, in depth to it there, but is there anything else that floating has taught you guys about yourselves or about life? Yeah, I would say like, so I try and float weekly and that's probably, it's more regular than most of our, most of our clients. We have a few clients that do do a weekly float, but for me, that has been the barometer because opening a business is crazy. <laughs> like everyone said, it's going to be super full on and like it is that and so much more. Um, we're very fortunate that the business that we opened has the tools to combat that or like the antidote for the craziness of running a business. So um, I've found that for myself, if um, it took me a while to figure this out, but I would get these periods where I'd get like really edgy or reactive or irritable. And then Kevin would be like, well, when is the last time you floated? And I'm like, Oh, three weeks like oh okay like if i go into the tank and have that hour hour and a half of contemplation and 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 de-stressing that that just kind of keeps me a bit more of an even keel and a little bit more present and then as soon and and it's happened again and again life gets too busy and too hectic and i realize oh i haven't floated in the last few weeks i need to go back and so that's kind of my barometer of like if i can't get in for an hour and a half once a week there's too much on my plate Something, something else needs to go because what tends to happen is that when things are hectic and chaotic and busy, the first thing to go is self-care. The first thing to go is what's good for me. And I'll just focus on what's good for what I'm doing with everybody else and take care of other people's needs. Um, and that's something that we try and, and kind of teach our clients as well is that like they might, if the regular floaters might not come back, might not see them for a while. They come back in and they're like, oh, things have been so crazy. It's like, cool. Yeah, I get that. But what do you need? He's like, the best thing for you to do is to look after yourself during that period of time. But that tends to be the first thing that disappears. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big lesson. Um, I always knew that, but that's been a big lesson for me as well is uh, prioritizing self-care. And, and my cup needs to be full before I can try and fill up someone else's cup um, as well. Because I t- tended to work in environments and just to be the type of person who does a lot of giving Um to my own detriment um, to the point where I burn out and break down. So <laughs> trying to avoid that by being proactive and, and noticing the signs and, and getting into the good practice of, of the little self-care routine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like similar to Sam, but it's also it's been an interesting space for me to you know, let out some emotion or something like, the best thing is well, no sound comes in, but also no sound comes out. So <laughs> if you're having a tough time and if you're just in there and you want to you know, yell it out or something, you can just give it a go in there and it's completely your space. So um, sometimes if I'm processing some stuff or if I'm beating myself up or just being too critical of things and, and just trying to contemplate what I've done and stuff, it's a good place just to go in and hash those things out one-on-one. And, um, mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just let out any pain or emotion. Yeah. So it's like your own personal little, little yeah, thing. yeah, cool. And the tears would make the uh, water leak. <laughs> <salt. laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we should put a recording device in to see what, uh, what Kevin's talking about yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that could be interesting. Actually. Yeah. Um, 
Well, one question that I do want to ask you, like, there's a lot of relaxation that goes on. How many people weigh in the tank? Um, none, I would say. Like, first of all, if you if you pee in the tank, you're you're bathing then in your own pee. So yeah. um, some people are weird, though. I know some people are weird. Um, so we ask everyone to use the bathroom before they go in. But also, the water is filtered and treated between yeah. every single person. We get that question a lot around water hygiene, and so we've had to um, pull out our old like high school chemistry knowledge, and um, we test our water every single day. It gets treated between every single person. We get our water externally um, tested as well by a lab to make sure that there's nothing in there. Um, it is the cleanest water you will ever get into. So, and saying that it's. If you've ever floated and got salt water in your eye, you realize how much it stings. So mm. getting it at other places, I don't think it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's it, true. I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so Floatwell's been going for a little while now, and you guys were saying before we started recording that like it's got to a place where it's kind of semi-comfortable for you again, and you're looking at kind of uh, you, you've expanded your comfort zone to encompass where things are sitting at the moment and you're you're looking for the next challenge mm. and kind of to, to step back out of your comfort zone and kind of push a bit further and try and expand it a little bit more so what what is the next kind of challenge and the next step for you guys um, we so we started with two tanks. Uh, we fit out the space for four, knowing that in terms of sustaining a business or make um, building a, a profitable business, that you would need more than two. Um, so we um, we purchased two more tanks. We originally planned to purchase at about a year and a half, two year mark, because that's kind of what our projections were to kind of support. But we found that we got to a point where we were turning people away on the busy times, and so we bought tanks in around Easter in April. They uh, arrived in. August and we got all four up and running by September. So that was a very big project for us. Well, mainly for Kevin. Um, I like to include myself in that. But you were the HR. Yeah, I was super. I was. I was the. I was the person filming it all on social media, whereas Kevin was the one doing all the work. Um, Shocked, but yeah, that was my second burnout. Sam was helping recover from that. Yeah, but um, yeah, like we've got um. We've been quite fortunate that um, that Kevin's skills are quite technical and like hands on. He's super handy and likes to be involved. So from our um, social media and that, we we had actually we'd been approached by a couple of float centers that were opening in New Zealand, and Kevin was um, went up to set up some new tanks for other people. And so he's kind of been helped install and and gone and met other float centers, which has been quite a cool endeavor. And that's something that we hope to to continue to do. But we. Um, just gaps in the market. Yeah. Like we're realizing more and more that because floating is so new that there's so many little tiny gaps just to make everyone's float experiences better. And there's been a lot of people in the group, on the Facebook group, that are like, hey, I, I designed this one little thing because it helped me, my float. And everyone's like, oh, that's perfect. I need one of those. So mm. as we start floating more and more, we realize these little gaps in the market. And I think we're going to start trying to find um, little things to kind of fill those up. Um, because it is a growing industry, and it would just make our whole process and systems better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just growth in, in that aspect in those areas is probably our next endeavor. Yeah. Um, we got a couple of secret ideas that we yeah. can't sure exactly what they are, but, but things to make f- re- operating a float center easier. Um, that From a customer's 
point of view, they might not be aware of that, like how much goes into running a space. Like it can seem like, oh, you just open up, like you just get a lease and throw some tanks in a room and you're good to go. But it is so much more complicated than that. Like we thought we were getting into the float industry, but we have certainly gotten into the janitorial industry. Um, the amount of the, the learning how much, you know, there's 500 kilograms of salt in each of those tanks and how much uh, work goes into making sure that that salt doesn't destroy everything walls and floors and tiles and showers and all of that because it's it's um it's pretty horrific if you if you just let it do its thing um but we've wanted to create efficiencies as an operator so that eventually we can step out of running the day-to-day a little bit more and put the owner hat on and the business growth hat on which um is challenging to do when you're running the business full time. So when we first opened, it was just me. And then Kevin was working full time, still as an engineer. And he'd come in evenings and weekends. So I was working in a 120 hour work week, which was crazy. Like I'm a very hard worker and yeah, I, I'll, put, I'll, I'll put the 14 hour days in, but man, seven days a week, like no breaks. Like I wouldn't do it the same way had we done it again, but we were at a, a place now where we've got some part-time staff. Um, Kevin had actually left his engineering job in September last year because he was, he was burnt out. Not burnout one. Burnout number one. Yeah. First burnout, like not interested in the work, feeling that he had to work to pay our rent at home so that we didn't burden the business too much. And, um, wanting to be involved in the business, but not having the energy or the time to do it. So he left and, September and then the earthquake happened in November and then like that day I got a call from his old company being like we're desperate we need like there's all these buildings that need assessments and all that please come back um as a contractor and so he's come back on as a contractor and we finally have like been able to figure out like the right balance of how many hours works for him versus how much that's going to help support like support us financially versus how much time both of us need to be in the business um, and how much can we afford to pay staff to run the business. So there's been a lot of financial stress for us in the last um, probably year or so. Kevin thought it would be quite glamorous for us to be poor. He was like, oh, we'll, live, we'll leave my job and, and it'll be fine. It'll be exciting living paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, it's really not exciting. <laughs> But uh, like it was, um, it was. It's been very stressful um, at times. But but saying that, like we don't live a luxurious lifestyle. Like we pay our rent and we buy groceries. We make our own food. We cook at home. But um, we try. We definitely live within our means. But um, it's. I think now the business is at a point where we can. We we figured out how much he needs to work versus how much I'm going to be in the space and how much we can bring employees on board to run things and to let go of some of the control and give it to them rather than it all being, um, on us. So Mm. that's like, there's still a lot of, um, for me, there's a little bit of anxiety around that, around like delegating tasks that I'm like, Oh, but I don't, I don't do it that way. And I like the way that I do it, but in the end, the outcome's the same. So I have to kind of be like, Hey, you just do it your way. As long as it, as long as it, it gets done. Um, it's been a, a big learning lesson for me. And I think that we're going to need to do more and more of that as the business grows, because we don't want, I don't want to have to be in there 40 hours a week because I can't then pay attention to the next, you know, float well two if it happens, you know, 2.0 um, or um, whatever the next endeavor is for us. I'm going to need time and energy to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's other aspects of just, you know, Sam's got her yoga um, training and all that, so she wants to grow that. And, mm. you know, having something 
you know, such as floating and yoga, like there's just all these ideas that kind of pop up of, well, what do you just keep kind of pushing those health and wellness yeah. things together? And so there's, there's a lot of, um, bigger ideas down the future, but I think immediately yeah, we're just trying to, um, yeah, get things going smoothly in here yeah. and then and just grow the on. business. Yeah. yeah. Get more people mm-hmm. floating. That's the biggest thing for us. It's still so new. The biggest referral for us is word of mouth and it's the slowest growing referral system unfortunately but it's the most authentic one mm-hmm. and that's what we want we want people to come in because they heard someone else did it and they loved it rather than oh i saw an ad on tv and that looks cool like we want people to have some buy-in and and to be really interested in in what it could offer them um and so we um our, we have a big focus on building relationships with our customers and spending time with them and not rushing them out. We're not just trying to turn people over. We're trying to spend time with them and hang out and get to know who they are and why they're coming into flow. And are they getting what they want out of the experience? If not, how do we, how can we adjust what we're doing to try and cater to them? Um, and that's been a really cool process as well of constantly tinkering based on the feedback that we get from people who use our facilities and as well as from us who float in our facilities as well, which I think is really important um, in this type of business to, for us to really understand what it's all about. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I'm mindful of the time, but mm-hmm. I just want to, um, I just want to touch on burnout a little bit <laughs> oh, as well. Yeah. So you mentioned burnout number one, <laughs> Kevin. Um, so that implies that there's more, been more than one. Yeah. What's, what's going on for you there with that? Um, just working both jobs. Um, so I, I did most of the setting up from, you know, running the contracting team kind of thing, Designing doing all the, the drawings, space. doing all the, the, the so I drew everything, designed everything, did everything with consents and then kind of managed the contracting crew. And then once we opened working full time after work, would go to float well, work all night and then all weekend and all that. So just got to a point where you just can't take that much work and not have any fun to balance it out. So, mm. um, yeah, you go through a little bit of burnout and, and you just get overstressed. So, the smallest of things can bother you, throw you off the rails and just kind of, you know, throw you into a little mess. So the first time around, I didn't really realize it. And unfortunately, probably, you know, it creates um, a lot of more emotion with Sam and, and, and just more kind of uh, arguing and tiny bickering. So um, once I kind of got through and got a lot of support from people, you realize like, oh, okay, that's probably that was. Second time was just when we're setting up our new pods. Um, Basically, for a whole month, we should probably just close down and set them up. And instead, we um, juggled everything, and it took about a month to install everything. And it was just, uh, yeah, a lot of logistics and a lot of stuff. So, again, you just kind of, you know, a month later, you don't realize that you don't have much um, capacity to do a lot of other things. Your adrenal glands are low, so um, you just don't have that emotional support yourself to control everything. So, um, anything can kind of bother you. and yeah. set you off and mm-hmm. not that you, you end up throwing tantrums and all that but it's just the littlest things you realize create a little bit of emotion and um yeah until you get through that you realize what that was so um you know you just learn yeah. keep going and then realize all right well that's what that was you know i've identified it completely now so i can kind of recognize it and prepare better for when it happens if it does happen or just you know yeah. make sure that you take that time to yourself and I remember our massage therapist, um, she always mentioned, like, once you do a big project, you should take uh, three days or even a week off and just go on a vacation. And I 
really like that idea. But we did not do that. that. <laughs> like, that really, I'm going to do that, but I can't do that because I have all these checklists. So I'm going to do that in five months. Too late. So yeah. um, that's something that you, I was told, but it didn't really hit home until after you go through it and realize, like, that's why. So. And is that how you plan now? Is after a big project, you, you schedule in some rest time? Yeah, well, like... We haven't had a big project since yet. installing yeah. the new tanks. That was just September. But I think there's been a lot of... Like, this journey has provoked a lot of learning for both of us around um, what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are, how we can complement each other, and when we need to get someone else and, and delegate. And so... Um, the management of, of, of the entire, of this entire journey has, um, I think it's taught us both a lot. I think, um, for Kevin in particular, go, coming from an engineering type job where everything's very regimented, it is nine to five and you don't take your work home and then you can just enjoy your weekends and your after, you know, afternoons and all of that. Like this was really different. Whereas I've always had like a job or two jobs and volunteer and this, and that. I've always had lots of my plate, but I've also always overestimated how big my plate was thinking I can handle heaps. And then realizing that actually, um, eventually like our, our burnouts look quite different where I, like, I just like shut down completely. And, and for you, it's probably a little bit more act out, not, not act out, but like you get like frazzled. Whereas I just like, I get really introverted and like need, and isolate. So, um, I think we're better at identifying like the early signs of that. And also I know for you in particular, like Kevin's routine, daily routine has changed and like incorporated a lot of really good stress management techniques. He does yoga every single morning and, um, like prioritizes the things that are important to him during the day more than, than he used to. And I think that's going to make have a big impact on his mental health because, the point where he left his job last year, the first burn, first burnout was I just had never seen him so miserable. And that was quite worrying for me because he's always been really stable. So it was like, holy moly, <laughs> what are we like, is, was this the right decision to do to open this business? Like, should we both just like say like, screw it. Let's just go back to a job where they're going to pay me a salary every month. And I'm going to get KiwiSaver and get vacation time and sick leave. And you know, all of those comforts that you get with um, being employed by someone else that you don't get when you're self-employed. Um, but I think the, the sacrifice of that is completely worth it because for like the freedom that we get, that we get to make every single decision about this business. And yes, it's on, the onus is on us, but yeah, it's not like it, don't it's on us like that's amazing if something doesn't work we can we can change it or if we want to try something crazy and different like a new yeah cool let's try that and if it fails like okay we just won't do it again or if we do it we'll do it a bit differently so um and and to be able to see the impact that that what we're offering for people has is is makes it all worth it as well like seeing people walk in crazy stressed and frazzled and walk out like oh blissed and relaxed like it is like they look physiologically different going in and then when they come out so um i guess the way i look at it is like for me it's like we still are actually having a big impact on people's health and well-being and for me i used to do that in my old job but in just in a different way so um hopefully better at managing burnout uh, moving forward and being able to support each other because running a business together has definitely had an impact on our relationship. Um, and we've learned a lot about ourselves and each other amongst it, but it's, um, I think, um, it's all a learning process and we'll just, we'll just figure it out as we go, I guess. Yeah. Whatever the next, whatever the next step is. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Very cool. Yeah. Um, guys, I have some questions I usually ask everyone mm. towards the end of the chat as well. Um, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? Doesn't have to be a big one. Mm. Uh, yeah, I have lots of ideas, but I guess the funnier one is uh, shaved. Okay, oh, <laughs> yeah. poor I shaved guy. my beard and my mustache after not having done that for 10 years. 10 years, oh, yesterday. No. yesterday. <laughs> that was just silly, so. And uh, I got. Face real cold today? Not really. It's not that bad. A good thing it's winter. Yeah. Or summer. Or summer. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of ignored that part of my brain that says don't do it. Um, there's always that self-talk of like, why are you doing this? No, don't do it. And just, yeah, let's see what happens. So, um, just went for it. That's good. That's adorable. Um, <laughs> I, we were, um, I think for like, we recently had the opportunity to have a coaching session with, um, with Deloitte and we, um, we got nominated for the rising star award. We got through the first round and didn't get past that, but that's fine. Um, it was a really cool networking opportunity and they, um, offered us a coaching session. And that for me, maybe not so much for Kevin cause he worked, he does our books and he's looking at the numbers all the time. But for me to open our books to somebody, a complete stranger who we don't know from an institution that we don't know, who, who knows nothing about our industry, um, made me feel very vulnerable. And I'm, I've always been someone who's, I tend to do the things I'm good at because I like the validation and the reinforcement. And so, um, the things within this business, like, like there are things that have gone super, super well, and that's really validating, but to have someone like a company like Deloitte who works with like multi probably billion dollar organizations open up our little book of our, you know, our one year, first year of float well, um, which, you know, is barely profitable and, you know, just, you know, making, scraping by, but you know, that was really scary for me to, to open myself up for judgment, I guess, is what I felt, or what I thought was going to be like, um, someone saying, someone telling us that like, Oh, you're, well, you're not doing very well or, or this isn't going to, this isn't going to last past another year or something like that. So like the self-talk that goes on going in, um, was pretty negative and quite fear-based. Um, saying that like in the end, like the, the session was really, I found very productive and very empowering and there's nothing that he said that I didn't already know about our business. And that to me was, that was validating that there was constructive criticism and some feedback that I was kind of like, Oh yeah, actually that's where things aren't going so well. Um, but I already knew that. And maybe actually having that feedback was helpful because someone else is identifying it as well. Um, and then there was also a lot of validation as the things that we were doing well. And so that we came out of there feeling really confident actually. Um, but I didn't feel like that going in. So, um, that, that was a big turning point for us because we had a quiet October and that, that we were both very stressed about that. We both kind of were in this position of like, Oh, if it's going to keep going like this, I don't know how many more months we can, you know, we can survive type of thing. And then, it, then and then as soon as we had that session, it's like, I don't, I don't know if it was like our mentality changed or are the plans that we had were starting to put getting kind of fall into place, but like everything just changed. Like it just was this huge upswing financially and attendance wise. And like for us, like just feeling really a lot more comfortable with what we're doing and why we're doing it. So awesome. yeah, it was, um, let's say getting that feedback from someone else was, was good. Yeah. What is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? Hmm. Um, 
No, no. On a a personal level, we're getting married in February. Um, So that's actually been really uncomfortable because we're we're kind of eloping in New Zealand. Um, So, um, and so that's been a a very uncomfortable process, actually. Um, But something, a decision that we're really excited about. But um, we've been together for uh, almost 10 years. So, both of us, yeah, this, I think there's both of us a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable about mm. that coming up, but nervous, but uh, excited at the same time. Um, but very cool. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a fun experience to go yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, we've we've kind of touched on this throughout the podcast, but do you guys have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? One that I've just been using more and more is to realize that, you know, you have your self-talk, I guess would be your ego, but you don't always have to listen to it. And just because what your mind is telling you isn't really truth. So, like, if you get uncomfortable in a situation or social anxiety, you're talking to someone and, and there's part of you saying, oh, don't say anything, you're act stupid. You can just ignore that part of you and just say mm-hmm. something because the only thing that's, you know, the, it's probably you that are putting those judgments on yourself. Mm. Other people necessarily aren't doing that. So um, there's an aspect of, yeah, just ignoring sometimes the self-doubt and the, the talks that kind of go on between your ears and just you know, going for things. Mm. And uh, you'll find they probably end up a little bit better than you, you would have expected yourself to. Mm. Yeah, I would say for me, um, for my 30th birthday this year, Kevin bought me... Um, this journal that Tim Ferriss actually promotes called the five minute journal. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of that, yeah. but, um, and, um, I've got that three in September and it's a really cool, like it outline asks you to like have three gratitudes in the morning. Um, three things that would make today great and an affirmation for the day, like an, I am statement. And then at the end of the day, three things that made today awesome. And one thing you could have done to make today better. Um, and it was such like such a sweet gift and something that um, like I saw so much value in. And it was interesting because it took me about a month to open it, like to actually start using it. Um, I think I was I think I was a bit afraid of like of, of I get when you have to physically write something down. It's like on this night in this nice book and this nice paper. And if what if I write it and I don't like I wrote the wrong word or misspell it and have to scratch it out and I didn't I'm such a perfectionist I didn't want to like I found that with journaling as well I didn't want to again the process of starting was really difficult because once I get into it and what if I I don't know how you can fail at it but there was this fear of like what if I fail at this gratitude journal (laughs) (laughs) what if I'm not grateful enough or my great gratitudes aren't you know I don't know it's silly and so but now it's and then he ordered one for himself in the end because he was um he Jealous. Yeah, jealous of the gift he bought me. Um, so now we both have that, and most mornings, I know um, we both do that kind of on our own. Um, most days, we try to, and I find it really helpful because it just it sets up my day. And so, whatever happens during the day, whatever obstacles are going to come up, because they will come up. If it gets like really crazy, I usually will go back to it's namely mainly the the gratitudes that I'll try and go back to. So those three things in the morning that I set myself up for to think about because uh, I find they ground me really well so regardless of the other chaos that's kind of going on in the mind it's like that is something you can come back to and remind yourself of throughout the whole day and then i'll spend the whole day thinking oh is that going to be one of the things i'm going to put down as like the three most awesome things of the day or is maybe maybe that's going to be the thing so like as i go through my day kind of like looking for the highlights um which is being being way more present yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. kind of changing your focus a little bit as well so look for the good stuff 
because you know you're going to write it down later exactly. rather than focusing on the bad. Yeah. Interesting. Um, i got a couple more quick questions mm-hmm. for you guys, but I just want to take a minute to say thanks so much for coming and sitting down and chatting with me for an hour and 20 minutes yep. so far already. Um, but also thank you guys for going on a journey and stepping yeah. out of your comfort zone to, to – try something different mm. one for coming to new zealand and selling your coffee table in the process <laughs> but also for, for starting a business that is like it's not just good for you guys but yeah. it's good for it's good for society it's good for wellington as yeah. well and kind of promoting promoting wellness um and yeah sharing your sharing your journey with us today it's very cool to to hear yeah, thanks. thanks for having us. So it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, first question is hopefully relatively easy for yeah. you guys. If people want to come and float with you or yeah. want to follow along with what you do, how can they do that? Yeah, so pretty easy. Um, it's uh, floatwell.co.nz for the website and all our so well, all our social media, Facebook and Instagram. I tried Twitter for a while. I am not good at Twitter. So Facebook and Instagram is just um, at floatwellnz. Um, and we're pretty active on both. Um, we try and we try, we're trying to be a little bit more, um, the faces behind Floatwell and more we're a bit camera shy. So getting in front of a camera is not, not super great for us, but that's, that's probably the next uncomfortable thing we actually have in terms of business is to get in front of the camera more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I will ask you guys for a picture to put on the the episode so people can see you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you guys can choose that though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very cool. Uh, final question for you. Mm. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Huh. Yeah, I would say um, is to give yourself permission to slow down. Like let's say it's one, one time in the next week, like actually dedicating time to doing nothing, to just like chilling out or – like reading a book or taking a walk or just like being with yourself and not doing you know, quotation marks, anything slowing down. What you said. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's cool. I, I like that as a challenge. Yeah. Sam and Kevin, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable mm. with me today. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Sam and Kevin today. Uh, if you're thinking about going down for a float, make sure you pop down to see them down at Floatwell in Wellington here. It's a really cool experience. Um, if you're not based in Wellington, check out and see if there's a float centre near you um, and go down and, and jump in. Uh, I'll definitely be going back and uh, we'll, yeah, let you know what uh, the second time round brings me as well. Now team, if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. Uh, The easiest is just to click subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, That way you get a new interview episode every Tuesday, new mini episode every Friday without worrying about things. Uh, Like I said at the start, you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast app um, or you can share this out with your mates. Ideally, you'd do all three because it just helps get these ideas into into more people's minds and uh, helps them get uncomfortable as well. Uh, Thank you to the people that have donated to the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay. Thank you as always to my awesome brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing uh, theme music for the show. 
and thank you guys for getting uncomfortable with us today. We'll see you again on Friday for our mini episode. Thank you.